0: tonight I'm going to do something a little different, and I'm just going to do some introductory remarks on this, and I'm going to let you ask questions, and so you could go ahead and be thinking of questions. Now, a couple of guidelines or rules about this. It's not stump the teacher. That's, um, that's actually not a hard thing to do, um, and so don't, you know, pull out some random, you know, prophecy in the Old Testament and uh, ask how it compares to the 40th week of Daniel and the Holy Spirit. I won't know. Um, but if you have a genuine question, I would love for you guys to ask that, and we can sort through that. And I will have to say this, just as a, as a precursor, um, I'm not sharp as I would like to be tonight, because Lauren and I, we, we really didn't sleep at all last night. We're in this new house, and you know, the, uh, we're in our rental home, and the storm's happening. Last time the storm happened, you know, the uh, tree took out our house. And so we're already, we're just, we're freaked out. And then we keep hearing things, and twice I went downstairs to just check on things because I kept thinking we were hearing something, and, uh, you know, new home, weird. Well, at about 2 o'clock, 1.32 o'clock, somebody's knocking on our door, which always kind of freaks you out. It's a police officer, and I open it up, and he goes, yes, I'm responding to the 911 call I got here. I'm like, there, I didn't call 911. I said, is this 592-4566? He's like, yes, it is. It's like, 911 call came from right here. So now we're a little freaked, you know, going upstairs, kids are asleep, everybody's asleep. And so we just checked the entire house. Nothing's there, but, you know, Lauren and I, we lay back down. I'm like, are you sleeping? No, I'm not (laughs) sleeping. So that's, that was, uh, we haven't slept since. And uh, so hopefully my answers will make a little sense to you. Um, But if not, that's the reason why. I'm going to claim that. Up to this point in 1 Corinthians, Paul has dealt with a number of issues, a number of very specific sins. Um, The sin that he has addressed primarily has been one of relationships, Um, one that involve uh, community. There's Christians, they've been suing one another, Uh, they have been in sexually immoral relationships. They've been slandering one another. We skipped over chapter 11, which was about people getting drunk at communion. And Paul says, no, no, don't get drunk. Actually serve one another. Um, And he reminds them about what the Lord Jesus did at that meal. Um, And so what we're seeing is that although the Lord had caused or called the Corinthian church to be a city on a hill, to be this radically new community, they were actually becoming very self-centered, very individualistic. Um, This had crept into even how they viewed spiritual gifts. And these were gifts that God had given them. And what they were doing is they were taking these gifts that God had given them to serve the church and they were actually turning them back to serve themselves. The gifts that God had given had become something of a very individualistic nature. And in many ways, Paul saves chapters 12 through 14 about spiritual gifts Um, as as the pinnacle of their sins. He's saying, look, you're so selfish, even the very spiritual gifts God gives you are all about you and not serving the church. Um, And so that is what chapters 12 through 14 are about. Now let me give you my definition of a spiritual gift. This is my definition. Um, I think it's a biblical one. It's an ability given and empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to strengthen the faith of others until Christ returns. It's an ability given and empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to strengthen the faith of others until Christ returns. There's a bunch of different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. You'll find at least three lists. You'll find in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and in Ephesians 4. It's not an exhaustive list. You get the sense when Paul's listing those things that uh, he's just he's rattling off a number of them, but you know, things like leading worship I would consider a spiritual gift. Intercessory prayer I would consider a spiritual gift, and yet those aren't things that are listed. Um, and so it's not, if you're trying to find your spiritual gift and how do you use this, don't think that's an exhaustive list at all. They're representative of many. All of the gifts fall into one of two categories, um, 1, Corinthians, or 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received his gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so you have gifts that involve speaking. That's gifts of preaching, teaching, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, things like that. Then you have gifts of service administration, encouraging, encouragement, giving, things like that. So you have those two main categories of gifts. But then Paul says, as we just read in chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer has been given some ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, something, whether they're speaking or serving, you have been given something for the good of the body. Not to pat yourself on the back, but for the good of the body. Um, and it, we need to be employing those gifts in service of the Lord. Now, it's interesting, is, and I'm going to stop right after this and let you guys ask questions. The uh, if, you, if you study through church history, very little is said about spiritual gifts. Very little. I mean, if you read through Augustine, um, or if you go jump way up to, to Calvin, um, to Baxter, to... Uh, Charles Wesley, even and, and or John Wesley, you're, you're going to find very little explicit about spiritual gifts. And what you find is they just kind of assumed people would know and they would be using them. And uh, then in the 20th century, we kind of had this spiritual gift explosion um, in which we've had a lot of the you know spiritual gift inventory test and you know how to define your spiritual gift. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but this is somewhat of a recent phenomenon. And the, the fixation of spiritual gifts. I appreciate a lot of it. And we're going to talk about what I appreciate about this. And I think some of it is also a little bit dangerous. So that's my introduction. Um, and so somebody's going to have to get us started. If not, it's going to be a very short service. Um, so what questions do you have about spiritual gifts in general? It doesn't have to be confined to this text in chapter 12 through 14 in First Corinthians. But what questions do you have? Blake. Yeah. How do you discern a talent from a spiritual gift? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because you have people like Charles Spurgeon, who had the gift, you know, obviously, of preaching. And some people said that if he didn't go into preaching, he could have, he was so eloquent and so smart, he could have been the prime minister. And, uh, and so when he was filled with the Spirit, his preaching dynamic didn't change. I mean, his speaking ability didn't change. You have somebody like Dwight Moody, um, who on this side of the pond, you know, he was a horrible speaker. And he was filled with the Spirit. God told him to speak. And the results were the same. Um, in which it was, whether, it, you, you can't look at actually the talent there, but in the calling that when they, they did the tasks that God had told them to do, the results were, were both amazing there. Um, But if you were to look at them from a worldly standpoint, you'd be like, well, Charles Wesley has all the speaking ability, or Charles Wesley, Charles Spurgeon in the world, and Dwight Moody's got nothing. Both were incredibly used by the Lord. And so I think the the difference between an ability and a talent is more of um, you see the fruit when you obey, and you might not necessarily see that with a talent. Good question. Somebody else. I don't know why I'm fixated on Charles Wesley tonight. That's twice I've brought up his name. Great <laughs> hymn writer. That's fine. Well, everything you have is given from God. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Everything you have is given from God. But there is a special gift upon the receiving of the Holy Spirit when you become a believer. He equips you in a unique way for service that you did not have before. Okay, Kate. I'm going to ask a big one. <laughs> <laughs> there are circles that are um, making a distinction between a current language and speaking in tongues. Okay. Can you, I'm just going to leave it there. Can you just <laughs> respond to that? Okay. The, I Gotcha. It's, it's not been a question. It was, it was, well, the question was, is there, in certain circles, and you find this a lot here in Birmingham, there's a lot of um, issues about tongues or a prayer language. Let me take one step back, if I could. Um, I feel like I need to answer this before I even get to tongues. Because you, you can divide the gifts into two main areas, what we would call miraculous gifts, supernatural gifts, and the ordinary gifts. Getting up here and speaking to y'all, ordinary any one of you could get up here and do that. you know, but if I were to get up and heal somebody, well not everybody can do that. That's miraculous. And um, so a lot of people they, they divide the gifts into miraculous gifts that would be tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healings, working of miracles, things of that nature, ordinary gifts: giving, encouragement, hospitality, things you can fake. you know Well, you can fake a lot of the others.) Um, I, I don't think, Scripture doesn't make any distinction between the two. And so I don't think Paul would make a distinction between the two. Um, and, and you've certainly heard really, really bad, bad teaching, even from a great speaker. And so you realize that, no, the Holy Spirit is definitely needed on both sides, or both in a sense miraculous. Other question that, that kind of goes with that is, well, what about those supernatural gifts like tongues, like a prayer language? Are they for today? That's kind of the larger area because you have two major camps. um, What we would call cessationists, which do not believe the miraculous gifts exist today. And then you would have non-cessationists that believe the miraculous gifts do exist today. Two big camps. I won't name denominations or anything. Um, Both misunderstand each other. It's, It's quite almost humorous to see the accusations that go back and forth. Somebody who is a, a non-cessationist who believes in the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit will look at a, uh, a, a cessationist and say, you don't believe in miracles. You don't believe that God can heal people. That's not the case at all. No. You know, you know, Let's say a Presbyterian who is a cessationist. If they pray for a person's healing, they still hope. And I could say some even expect God to heal. That's not the issue there. What they don't believe is that there is actually a gift of it. That there will be somebody who is known as there is the healer. You know, there is the one who speaks in tongues. But they do believe that the miraculous still happens. Um, Now, I personally, I believe that the gifts are in operation today. All of them. Um, What we just read in 1 Corinthians, um, well actually 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Well, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 13. This is the passage that's used to defend both views. Sorry, I didn't want to land on this too long, and I will get to prayer language. Um, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Right there, cessationist people say, look, see, this stuff ends. It ends. It was for a season. It was for the time of the apostles, so the apostles could do these miracles, so people would know they're men of God, and they could write the Bible. Um, Paul says, for we know in part we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. A cessationist says that when the perfect comes, that perfect is Scripture. After the apostles did all their miracles and we had the Bible written, that's the perfect, then the other things can fade away. Tongues can fade away. Prophecies can fade away. All that can fade away. Now that we have the Bible. I I think that is a serious case of mental gymnastics. Um, to do that. I think it's clearly talking about when Jesus returns. That's when we see face to face. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Savior's return. And it ties in, you have every gift as you wait for Jesus' return. So I do believe both are in existence. Um, what I think that has happened in the gift of tongues, and I've never experienced that, I do believe it exists, is most Christians have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. You see it abused, therefore, get, get rid of it. You see it abused. And um, do you want to close that door? Thank you. Um, which is a tragedy, because you, you really, you might have people who have that gift, and then they have to get out of this church. And so what they're going to do, and you've seen this happen, they congregate with everybody else who has that gift. And so now all of a sudden you have a church full of people who speak in tongues, but there's no teachers. You know, everybody has a gift of teaching. Well, they're over here. You know, and so, of course, then it just kind of feeds itself. They go more and more into error. And we've seen that in a lot of the, uh, the Pentecostal errors. Um, now, the difference, now what you were asking, is there a difference between tongues and prayer language? And uh, I'd say yes in how prayer language is defined today which is different than praying in tongues as Paul defines it. Paul says when you pray in a tongue, you're talking to God. Um, I think he says that in 14.2. Yeah, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. All right, we're, speak, we're praying to God there. Um, but this is not something better than normal prayer. As a matter of fact, Paul later, he says, I would rather speak five intelligent words in 10,000 in tongues. This isn't better. And that's where I see the distinction which is now being taught about prayer language is this is the way to pray. I've heard it said that, you know, this is DSL, you know, and, uh, normal prayer is dial up connection and the, uh, which is fine. You can talk with God, uh, you can talk with God, you know, use dial up it's a little slower, not as powerful prayer language is DSL, um, The problem that I have with that, and there's a few, as a believer, the Bible tells me, Romans 8 says that the Spirit of God is already interceding for me. Hebrews says that Jesus is already interceding for me when I pray. So how can you top that? I mean, how the Holy Spirit intercedes for me when I pray. Jesus intercedes for me when I pray. And so there isn't some... The power of prayer is there. And uh, I I don't see it as something separate. Another thing, um, prayer language is uh, often said, everybody has a prayer language. And Paul clearly says that not everybody has the gift of tongues. Although he does say, I wish all of you had it, um, he recognizes that not everybody does. He also wishes that everybody had the gift of singleness. And you don't hear people going around saying, yes, you know. (laughs) Everybody, that's what you need to hold on to, you know. It's interesting how we gravitate towards one or the other. Good question. Sorry for the long answer. I had to back up a little bit. Next question. Oh, Jamie. I think there's a danger of it. Um, you see that when Paul's talking to Timothy. And 1 Timothy says, don't neglect, no, don't neglect the gift that you have. And then 2 the Timothy says, Fan it into flame, um, and which is like blow on the embers. It's about to die out. And uh, for Timothy, it was preaching, which shows that a lot of Christians make a colossal mistake when they think of spiritual gifts. They tend to think of it as if I like it, it's my gift you know, all right, I enjoy doing this, therefore the Lord has gifted me doing this. Well, you don't have to remind somebody to keep doing what they enjoy. And what you get is a sense of Timothy, he knows he's called to preach. Through the prophetic laying on of hands, he was given the gift of preaching, and he's this young guy, and he's like, I don't want to preach. (laughs) And so he looks for opportunities not to do it, and Paul's saying, don't neglect it. Fan it in the flame. And, uh, so that is not an indicator. A lot of times they, they do go together. It's, it's the natural movement of your heart. But it's not always. And I would even say for me, preaching was that way absolutely for the first five years. Um, I knew the Lord had gifted me to preach. I knew he wanted me to preach. I'd be hugging trash cans and throwing up because I didn't want to preach. Um, it was one of those, I don't want to do this, but it's my gifting. Good question. Anybody else? I saw a few elbows, people, like, elbowing the person next to them to ask a question. Go ahead, Patrick. Kind of springboarding off of that, do your gifts change We got give you additional gifts later? I know it was first about Christ and praying for greater gifts. Yeah. Do you your gifts change from you just develop the ones that you can change? Scripture doesn't say if they change or not. You know, certainly it shows some people with multiple gifts. So at least, you know, you could probably keep adding gifts. And Paul on it, you know, if he tells you to desire the greater gifts, um, that gives the indication, yeah, you have some gifts, now desire greater ones. Um, what's really interesting, though, is people take that verse and are like, okay, you're, you're supposed to be praying for all these additional gifts. Backtrack. Paul actually says, pursue love, desire, the other, desire these greater gifts. Now, he doesn't say pursue the other gifts. He says, you want to pursue something? Pursue love. Basically, pursue community. Pursue serving one another. And in the midst of that, you can desire to have these other things, but this is what you run after, loving one another. Pursue love, desire the the greater gifts. Good question. Um, The question here is, what is prophecy? Um, Prophecy, you have to think of what Paul is talking about here. As something different than Old Testament prophecy. An Old Testament prophet walks in and says, Thus saith the Lord. There it is. I mean, you might as well write it down. It's it's the Word of God. New Testament prophecy is not that. Um, Actually, one of the main reasons there are cessationists is over the issue of prophecy because they say, hey, if prophecy still exists, you might as well leave blank pages in your Bible. And anytime somebody gets up and says, I have a word from the Lord, write it in. You know, the, it's an open canon. We just keep writing the word of God. And that's a misunderstanding of what prophecy looks like. Um, it, turn to Acts 21. Yeah, I'm hoping this is right. It might be 20. I'm thinking it's 21. Yeah. Verse 4. This is Paul. He's on a journey going to Jerusalem. It says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. All right. So they have this prophetic word. Through the Spirit, they say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You know what Paul does? He goes to Jerusalem. I mean, that's just bizarre. He says, Through the Spirit, a community, they gather together, they're praying, they get this word and they say, Paul, you are not supposed to go to Jerusalem. Paul says, "Uh uh-huh, okay, and he goes to Jerusalem. And and there is a great picture, I think, of New Testament prophecy in which when when a prophetic word is given, 1 Thessalonians and also in 1 Corinthians, it says, weigh what is said. Weigh what is said. Judge. See if this is truly from the Lord. The the revelation given from God is without error. The communication of it, there can be error. Judge it. Um, And what was likely going on here is these people, through the Spirit, they saw Paul getting bound, Paul being thrown in jail, like Agabus had earlier. They interpreted that as, Paul, you're not supposed to go. And the error was in the communication. Um, And so... New Testament prophecy can have error in it. Um, A New Testament prophet, I should say, that comes up. The apostles in the New Testament are like the Old Testament prophets. Just the apostles. Um, I think all of us, to some degree, have experienced probably a taste of the gift of prophecy. Um, And I've used this illustration before, but if you're driving down the road somewhere, you know, just kind of spaced out... um, And all of a sudden, God says, hey, pray for Kate. Joel, pray for Kate right now. I go, okay. So I start praying for Kate. Then the next week, I'm talking to Kate. I'm like, you know, the Lord put it on my mind to pray for you. And She's like, when? I said, this time. She's like, oh my gosh. I was having the absolute worst time. I just got a phone call. One of my friends was killed in a car accident or something like that. And I just really needed prayer. That is a hint of what prophecy is in which... Spontaneously, God communicates something to you in order for you to do something. And and so a lot of us have probably experienced that. Now, prophecy in a church setting is God communicates something to you to tell others. So here would be, I stand up and say, all of us, I want us to pray for Kate. I really believe that the Lord has told me that we need to be praying for Kate right now. Sorry, I keep mentioning you. Um, And so... But I think all of us have tasted it in a little degree. Prophecy is when it is in a corporate setting. Good question. Anybody else? To say that Chapter 12, verse 3. Yeah, there's a lot written about this. Jesus is accursed. Um, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Without going into all of it, um, Paul's not saying it's the words you say. Like no, an unbeliever can't say Jesus is Lord, unless that—I mean—you have to be a believer to say that. He's basically just like say it and mean it. To say it and mean it that Jesus is Lord. The accursed part. Um, some are wondering if people are actually trying to curse it. that they're saying, "I curse you in the name of Jesus," instead of "Jesus is cursed." You really can't tell what it is there, and I just don't have an answer for you. But don't do it. Well, you know, just this—it is clear about that. Whatever it is, don't say Jesus is a curse or curse people in the name of Jesus. Go ahead. How, as a church- Yeah, that's a great question. It's um, how do we as a church believe in a gift of healing and yet also realize God's called us to suffer? We live in this unique period of time in which there is uh, the clash of kingdoms, there's an overlap in which the kingdom of God has broken through in Jesus and through his resurrection, broken through in the gift of the Spirit. Yet the old kingdom is not dissolved. And so there are times, it's this clash of kingdoms. There are times when God heals, and there's times when he doesn't heal. Um, and we don't know. This is how I approach we should pray, concerning, you know, like if somebody comes to me and they're sick, and do I pray for their healing or do I not? You know, most people, they do the cop-out. I do it a lot of times. Lord, your will be done, you know, and you know, cop-out. Um, you really, I avoided a prayer of faith. And there's instances all over the Bible. Some people just know you have to have faith in that God will heal the person or faith that God will do what he wants. You have both instances um, that you either pray for the Lord's will or you pray what you will at that moment. And, And what I say is pray the Lord's revealed will. And so we know that when the kingdom does come, there will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no more sorrow. And so we can know that ultimately that is God's will. Ultimately. And so I usually pray for that. And so I usually, I will pray for healing. I will pray for an end of suffering and, and those things until I feel God turning, saying, that's not, no. Not at this time. Um, like Paul, remove this thorn. Remove it, remove it. And then God's like, no, don't ask me anymore. My grace is sufficient. And I think that's, you know, you find that in Jesus. Remove this cup from me. He prayed. His, That's what I want. You know. then he, then the Lord changes. It's like, nevertheless, your will be done. And so if I do say, pray the Lord's will, what we know it ultimately will be. Next question. I'll take a, a couple more. Good questions, by the way. We're going to do some, just so you know, at, at Redeemer. We're going to do some coffee houses. Probably going to go to... Uh, Brian Johnson's loft downtown, and maybe on Monday nights, not every Monday night, but maybe once a month, we'll do theological coffee houses, and we'll have settings like this where you just kind of ask questions. Um, that's one of the things we want to do at Redeemer. Anybody else? Thomas. We have uh, the gifts that exist for the good of the, the good of the body, how then do we evaluate what gifts we may or may not have? Okay. The question is: If the gifts exist for the good of the body, how do we know what gifts we have or we don't have? It is yes. How do we evaluate if, yeah, if we really have these gifts? You know, if we want to serve the church, how do we know if we really have this gift or not to serve the church? Is the question. Um, and so usually I say, well, we need community. Like somebody might say, I really have the gift of singing. And everybody else is like, well, God's going to have to give us all the gift of hearing, you know, in in order for you to get up there. And there's a lot of people who are like, I mean, they're passionate about this. And but everybody else is like, "Mm, no. And and it's that way. Other people see your gifts more than you do. You know, my mom. Just a few years ago, she was in tears. And she said, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. I've been a Christian for like 45 years. I don't know what it is. I'm thinking, Mom, it's hospitality. I grew up, our entire life we had people in our house. And you were just so generous to them. It's so obvious. And she couldn't see it. And so I think other Christians, that's why we need to be in community, they could point out and say, it's so obvious. When you teach, I get so much from it. Not when I teach, I really feel good about it. When you teach, it benefits the body. I think that's how we see it. Um, and the only way to really know if you have these gifts is you see a need and you go after it. I mean, that's that's way you, you, you look at a need, say, God, gift me to do this. See if it fails or not. Question? Of Paul says prophecy is a great gift. Um, because it, he's, one of the things is it can reveal sin. It can reveal the direction for a church. And that's why he does say, earnestly desire, um, especially that not prophesy. Blake? Um, in 12:10, he says, I don't know. There you go. I'm not going to make up answers, and so I promise you guys I won't ever do that. Um, Don't know. So I'll do one more, since that was really kind of a, that was was a wash. Let's end on that one. Um, Anybody else? Jessica. I think it matters that you're serving. It doesn't matter if you know your spiritual gift. You know, how many, just survey, how many of you have done a spiritual gifts inventory whatever test? Yeah, they're, they're bogus. Um, I mean, the questions, the way they're phrased is like, when you have somebody come over to your house, A, you are going to love them, B, you're going to like hit them and yell at them. Which is more your personality? And you're like, you're like well, of course, you always choose what you want, not what you are. And so those, those, those tests are just, they're bogus. Um, the important thing is that you're serving and that's why I this is a recent phenomenon in the church this fixation on spiritual gifts and it's because of the individualistic nature of it which is what Paul's trying to rebuke everybody's looking inwardly going what's my gift what's my gift and Paul goes no look outwardly look there's a need there's a need there's a need there's a need pursue love and so that's the thing is you look where the needs are and you go after it um And not just try to get this awareness of what is my spiritual gift. The gifts aren't about you. And just, I'll close on this. The gifts also are not any indication of your spiritual life. Which is, I think, the reason people turn so inward in their spiritual gifts. and They think, if I have this gift, I am someone. I have tongues. Undeniably, God's with me. There it is. I'm someone. And no. Spiritual fruit is the indication of where you are spiritually. Not your gifts. Your gifts are what you do. Your, your, the fruits are who you are. And we're always supposed to be growing in all of the spiritual fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what's supposed to mark us and we're growing in. I have known some of the most pagan preachers. Living, I mean, they are just having affairs. And before that ever became public, I would listen to them and I was blown away. I was blown away. Convicted? It's like, wow, see that person so incredibly used? Spiritually, falling apart. Your gifts are not an indication of where you are. And so don't rest. Let's say if you have a gift of giving, you're like, wow, I'm giving a ton. I'm really doing, I'm, my walk with the Lord is great. No, it means your gift is doing great. Are you growing in the fruit? I was really hospitable this week. Well, that's great, but are you growing in fruit? And so, uh, anyway, we need to be pursuing the fruits of the spirit, and pursuing opportunities to serve one another. Um, Let's—I uh, want to do this real quick. I think this is important for us as a church, and we'll—we're um, going to huddle up real quick. you are know, going to move chairs? Just huddle. We're going to make an organized, disorganized mess of it all. And uh, I want us to pray for as a church. We're very young. Um, and, I mean, only a few months. I want us to pray that the Lord would gift us, and we've prayed this before, as He sees fit, not as we see fit. And I want us to pray that He would open up our eyes to how we can serve one another. That He would open up our eyes to how we can serve one another, and that He would gift us as He sees fit. If y'all just take some time, break up in the groups of, I don't know, whoever. Just huddle up in groups right now. That's why we have, don't have pews, mobile chairs. And then we'll close in song in just a few minutes. Um, And that would be great.